Ladies and gentlemen, once in a lifetime, there comes a podcast with the strength of will, the sense of justice, and the duty to deliver the best podcast of all time. Ask me if I give a shit. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is entering its 22nd episode. And I've got a feeling... It's got what it takes to do away with the Russians. This is the Silver Emulsion Podcast. Ask me if I did the shit. All right, everybody, welcome. This is episode number 22 of the Silver Emulsion Podcast. My name is Will, and I am your host. And uh, today on the show, I'm going to be talking about a few movies, as always. Uh, Which movie am I going to talk about the most? I don't know. I should have uh, picked that before I started recording. One of these little, little things that I'm supposed to do that I didn't do. Uh, let me look here. What do we got? Got some notes. Um, I got a fair amount on that. What do I got? Yeah, I don't know. You know what? Let's just, um, let's just get right into it. Now, feedback. I have a little bit of feedback. Um, if I can find it. Once again, I am uh, not prepared, if you can't tell. (laughs) All right, so feedback. I got a feedback from Uncle Jasper. He says, hey, dude, great show as usual. Always love any discussion about the water margin. I grew up on a shitty pan and scan VHS English dub and did notice a few changes in the soundtrack. I will say, however, that the Uriah Heap song Salisbury was indeed in the dub I used to watch. I remember tracking down that music and putting it on my headphones while I strutted around my shitty, crime-ridden hometown, pretending that I was one of the 108 outlaws. (laughs) I also remember one of the other musical cues, and I don't know if it was in the original, but every time David Chang did something badass, he would get this chicka-chicka-choo sound effect. (laughs) I have nothing more to add about that. I just always thought it was pretty fucking awesome and deserves a mention. Also, the song you played at the end of the show was incredible. I honestly have never heard anything rock harder in my life. (laughs) Well, thanks, uh, thanks, Jasper. 
as a great feedback. I can uh, con uh, confirm that the uh, the chicka chicka choo sound effect, as you call it, is indeed in the original um, Hong Kong version of the movie. I watched um, the sequel, All Men Are Brothers, um, yesterday. Yesterday, I think, yeah, yesterday, and. The review won't come out for a little while, but um, while I was watching it, they they used that sound uh, a couple of times um, in in the movie just to kind of recall uh, David Chang's badassness in the first one. They don't really use it in the same way. Um, but anyway, I recorded a little bit. <laughs> I recorded one of them because it was it was handy, and so uh, what? Um, I'll play that right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. I enjoy it as well. Uh, he also gets a he gets a lot of uh, cool stingers like that in in Cheng Che movies. Um, I can't think of like I I want to say that it's in a bunch of movies, but there's definitely one in the Duel uh, that was released in the U.S. as Duel of the Iron Fist. There's a good one in that. Uh, and I don't have that one on hand, so I can't play it, but, um, it's fucking dope, whatever it is. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I, and I feel like there's, um, there's other movies, uh, Cheng Che movies where they, they do that too. But anyway, uh, enough about that. Um, that's cool that you knew about the fucking Salisbury, like, back in the day. Man, I... <laughs> I had no idea. I could have just asked you. I just, I was fucking searching around. I had to, um, it took me a long time actually to figure it out. I, I was searching on the internet, on all these forums, and it's kind of hard to find information like that. Um, and I couldn't find it. And then eventually I, 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 uh, what do you call it? The fucking, the iPhone app, uh, Shazam. <laughs> where you fucking play it and then it tells you what the song is. I had to do that like a bunch of times, like 10 fucking times before it got it cuz it kept doing it and it would bring up like the wrong song cuz like inevitably some fucking sound effects would come on and it would think it was some other song or whatever. But eventually I hit upon uh, hit upon Salisbury and and found out what the song was. But shit, if I knew that you knew, I I could have asked you. Uh, but anyway, uh, the song that I played at the end of the show, uh, as you know, is uh, by the uh, the wonderful amateur rock band Dawson and the Cosmos. And <laughs> um, the reason that I played it is because um, I don't I don't remember what day it was, but but uh, the day that we were watching the stream of uh, Evan and Zane making effects the um i should i should say what it is it's the um i've mentioned before the gourmet gamer podcast and they don't do the podcast anymore but they do still have um the website and mostly they they stream on twitch while they make stuff like props or um uh, evan does a lot of sculpting masks and things like that and so, anyway, uh, go to gourmet-gamer.com, and uh, I'm assuming that, that the, the stuff is up there, although I can't say for sure because I haven't been to the website in a long time, 
But anyway, on on that, there should at least be a link to the Twitch or at least a link to the Facebook or something like that that would then uh, key you into when they're streaming. Um, but definitely, if you like effects and you like um, fucking hanging out with cool guys, <laughs> I recommend uh, checking out the stream. Uh, but anyway, the on the stream uh, last week, I believe it was, I think it was the day before I recorded the last episode, they were playing... Um, this playlist of 80s metal songs that were uh, from horror movies of the 80s. And a lot of horror movies, even, I mean, a lot of, a lot of movies in general have, have dope end credit songs in the 80s. Uh, but specifically horror movies usually have some fucking kick-ass metal song at the end. And so they were playing this playlist, and I love those, those fucking... <laughs> 80s metal songs so I was you know I was having a good time they were having a good time everybody's having a good time and I was so like pumped up that I wanted to play um an 80s metal horror movie song at the end of the episode uh that I did on curtains and so while I was rooting through uh those songs on on my computer I had a thought like, oh shit, we fucking recorded one. <laughs> like, we did our own. So, I had to play it. So, so uh, the, the song that's on there is uh, You're Gonna Lose Your Head by Dawson and the Cosmos. Uh, that's me playing bass. You can't really hear it. Um, but I recorded that uh, with my four-track recording uh, re- recording device, little Porta Studio, uh, that is currently um, I'm recording this uh, podcast through. <laughs> so uh, yeah, anyway, that's the inspiration for for playing the song, um, and and I can attest that it does fucking rock. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, on the show today, I'm going to talk about... Uh, I mentioned two of the movies that I'm going to talk about on the last episode as being possibly things that I was going to watch. So I'm definitely going to talk about those. What those movies are, do you remember? Uh, I do. <laughs> and that's all that really matters. Um, but you might too. You might too. So the first movie that I want to talk about is the Shaw Brothers film... Um, from 1972, and it's called Pursuit. And Pursuit is directed by uh, a guy named Chang Kang, who was uh, a great director um, out of the Shaw Brothers studio, and he he did a lot of great movies. He's not really a well-known director, um, not like, you know, like Chang Chang, (laughs) Chang, Cheng Che, people know that name, like, even people who don't know the Shaw Brothers might have heard of Cheng Che, and, like, uh, Lao Kar Lung, maybe people know that name, probably not, but, like, those are the two big ones, and then uh, everybody else, there's a lot of other great directors, and one of them is Cheng Kang. And Cheng Kang directed uh, The 14 Amazons and uh, what else did he make? This fucking amazing wuxia called The 12 Gold Medallions. He also directed um, 
the great uh, 60s movies, uh, The Sword of Swords and Killers 5. And what else did he do? He did Pursuit. He did one of the segments in Trilogy of Swordsmanship, which is a really good uh, anthology movie from from the Shaw Brothers. Um, Cheng, who is the other guy? Oh, yeah, Griffin Yufang. Griffin Yufang, also another great early um, Shaw Brothers director. He directs a segment. Cheng Kang directs a segment. And then uh, Cheng Che directs uh, a segment and the Cheng Che segment is actually um, sort of related to the water margin. Uh, I don't think that it's actually adapted from the novel but um, the way that they set up that story is that the the characters of that section of that little short film are supposed to be like the sons and daughters of the uh Langshan bandits, Lang, <laughs> Lang, what is it, Langshan, something like that, Langshan bandits, it sounds wrong, it sounds wrong, but I'm gonna go with it, uh, <laughs> anyway, so the movie that I'm gonna talk about today, directed by Chen Kang, is the 1972 film Pursuit, uh, it is another uh, water margin adaptation, and this specific film tells the story of uh, Lin Chong, who is also known as Pantherhead, if I remember correctly. I don't have the I don't have all my notes uh, uh, pulled up from from when I wrote the review or anything. So I just got to kind of go off my brain. But if I remember right, he's called Pantherhead. Anyway, in the, in the actual book, I don't know if he's called Pantherhead. They have um, alternate translations to a lot of these names um, in the in the version of the book that I have. Like, um, what the fuck is the the guy that Ku Fang plays in Water Margin? And let me see if I can pull it up really quick. He, in my book is called The Timely Rain. Yeah, The Timely Rain, Sung Jang. But in the movie, um, the subtitles call him Welcome Rain, which, you know, you can see the the correlation between welcome and timely, um, and so it's just a matter of translation. But which one is more correct, I don't know. Anyway, um, let's see here. Yu Hua... Is he on here? He's got to be on here. He's in the fucking movie. Leopard Man. <laughs> okay, so Hong Kong Movie Database says that it's Leopard Man Lin, Chon, Lin Chong. Um, I don't know where I got Pantherhead then. I don't know if that's in the subtitles or if it's in my book or whatever, but I do remember Pantherhead. Uh, <laughs> that's not the kind of thing that uh, uh, goes away <laughs> from your memory. Anyway. So Pursuit is the story of Lin Chong and how he uh, becomes one of the 108 Langshan bandits, or uh, the outlaws of the marsh. And this tale specifically um, adapts a very early section of the book. It's like, um, I just looked at my book because I was watching uh, All Men Are Brothers and, and writing a rough draft of that, so I've, I'm 
some of this stuff is pretty fresh. Um, but I don't remember the specific chapters, but like uh, the book is 100 chapters, and the Lin Chong story is like chapters like 10 to something else, like maybe maybe 7 to 10 or 10 to 12 or something like that. Anyway, you know, you get the idea. It's right, right at the beginning. And uh, the, the, the Delightful Forest, the other um, side water margin movie, those chapters are like 25 to 30, somewhere in there, roughly. Um, don't quote me. Like you're going to, I don't know. Anyway, um, so it's a little bit further in. The story that the water margin adapts is like in the 60s, like chapter 60 to 65 or something like that. And then the the chapters that uh, All Men Are Brothers adapts are basically the, the last 10 chapters, 90 to 100. And then they there's a bunch of flashbacks and stuff in in that movie that kind of go back to previous chapters. Um, but anyway, enough about that. So anyway, Pursuit tells the story of Lin Chong and how he becomes uh, a Langshan bandit. And at the beginning of the movie, he starts, um, he comes home. He's been gone for a while. He's a, uh, like a Kung Fu instructor and uh, he trains troops and things for the emperor. And so he finally returns home after being away uh, for multiple years. And he's very happy to, to meet his wife. And he hasn't seen her for a long time. And he's just, oh my God, he's just overjoyed to see her. And on the way uh, to the temple uh, with his wife, he runs into... Uh, his sworn brother, who is, uh, what do they call him? They call him, uh, he is the monk Lu Shang. And in my book, they call him the sagacious Lu. And sagacious, let's look it up here. It says, having or showing keen mental discernment and good judgment, shrewd. Uh, so, yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, he runs into the sagacious Lou. Uh, they call him something different in the, in pursuit, though. It's like the flowery monk or something like that. Um they call him oh they don't they didn't put it on hong kong movie database anyway um i think it's flowery monk but then i'm thinking tattooed monk i don't know anyway this monk played by uh, fan mei sheng and fan mei sheng plays a different role in the water margin and all men are brothers um in in those movies, the main movies, you could say, he plays uh, the Black Whirlwind. Um, I forget what his name is. It's Lee something. Lee Kui, I think. Anyway, so he plays the Black Whirlwind, a fucking fantastic character, super fun to watch. Just a dude with these two giant fucking axes, 
and he's always like really excited to just jump into battle. He's fucking awesome. But in pursuit, Fan Mei Sheng doesn't play him. He plays the flowery monk or the sagacious Lu, whatever you want to call him. And in the water margin, um, this character is is there in the water margin and All Men Are Brothers, but he's only there for like a second. He's played by the Shaw Brothers actor Peng Peng. Um, and Peng Peng, I know, uh, he's not in a lot of, of the martial arts movies because he's not a martial artist, but he plays Pigsy in uh, the Ho Meng Kwa Journey to the West movies uh, that were made by Shaw Brothers in the mid-60s. So that's where I know him from. But anyway, he plays the monk, and, and basically in, in Water Margin and All Men Are Brothers, he's just basically... Uh, just fucking sitting there like drinking a bowl of wine <laughs> he doesn't really do anything uh, but he's there and it's the same character that fan Sheng plays in pursuit so anyway uh before lin chong meets up with the monk lu the monk lu is sleeping under an apple tree and a bunch of kids and um peasants or whatever what have you they all decide that they're going to steal some apples from the apple tree of the temple while um the monk is sleeping so they send in a little kid uh who they call little braid and i hate to make another um tangent off this but the guy the kid that plays little braid is none other than the wonderful uh, stuntman and actor who who would later go on to be in uh, Jackie Chan movies and a member of the Samohung stunt team, Meng Hoi. Uh, I talked about him, I think, in the last... I don't know. Was it the last episode? I think it was. I think it was, because what did I talk about in the last one? Uh, The Victim... Was the Sammo Hung movie I talked about, I think? Was Meng Hoi in that? I don't know. Anyway, one of these last few episodes I talked about Meng Hoi. Anyway, here he is. He's a little kid. He's probably like 10 or something like that. And uh, when they send him in to steal the apples, he's on the roof. And he does like this fucking flip off the roof, lands on the ground, and then continues running. So he was uh, clearly... <laughs> Uh, well-conditioned for stunts and all kinds of uh, future greatness, uh, even at an early age. So anyway, they they go and they steal these apples, and while they're stealing the apples, um, the monk wakes up, gets very angry, and starts like beating the shit out of the kid. And he throws uh, the kid into like the top, branches of the tree and the kid's like i can't get down get me down get me down (laughs) and i forget exactly how it happens but they make a deal with the monk like uh, the monk says i'm not gonna put you down or whatever and the kid says something else like talks back or whatever and the monk's like all right whatever i'm gonna fucking put you down but but i'm gonna huh I don't know, it's not making sense. But anyway, what he does to get the kid down 
is he co- fucking grabs the tree trunk and he just <laughs> fucking uproots the tree. It's so badass. Obviously, it's not a real tree. I think. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe Fan Mei Sheng is fucking strong as shit. <laughs> anyway, um, he uproots the tree. The kid falls out um, safely, safely. And then right around that time, Lin Chong comes around the corner uh, to to visit the temple with his wife that he has been newly um, uh, fucking reunited with. And uh, he sees his sworn brother, the monk Lu. And he goes like, oh, shit, I haven't seen you in a long time. And because um, Lin Chong's like whole fucking life is devoted to martial arts and training and basically like brotherhood. Uh, he's never really home at his, with his wife. So he basically just ditches his wife and says like, okay, you'll be fine. Just go to the temple and do your thing. Um, I'm going to hang out with my brother who uh, I haven't seen in a long time. <laughs> never mind that he hasn't seen his wife in a long time either. So they go off... Um, the wife goes to the temple, Lin Chong and Lu go off to get drunk and talk about the good old days or whatever the fuck they've been doing. And while that is happening, uh, this this guy named Gao, uh, and I don't remember who he is specifically. He's like some kind of a, um, like an official or something related to like the... the administration of the town or some fucking royalty asshole uh some rich guy that thinks he can do whatever the fuck he wants he's got the hots for lin chong's wife and he tries to rape her in the middle of that um lin chong comes home and is like oh fuck what the you know what do you do and they have a little little fight and then um so you know a grudge has been formed (laughs) Um, and so that's the beginning of the movie. I don't know how deep into the movie that I want to go in terms of just describing what happens, um, because this is a great movie and it should be seen, especially if you like the water margin and the characters and you want, um, another little journey, uh, into that world. This movie is very small in comparison to the water margin um, and All Men Are Brothers, it's it's a very focused tale on, on this one character, and there's, you know, there's some other characters from the book, like the Monk Lu and stuff like that, but but it's, it's almost entirely just this one guy's story. And what really um, makes this a great movie is it's not really an action movie. There's action in it, but it's primarily a drama. And so uh, Yu Hua, who is playing Lin Chong, and Fan Mei Sheng, um, Yu Hua is, is in it the most. Fan Mei Sheng is in the beginning and the end and a little bit in the middle. But but um, Yu Hua is a great actor. I, I've been enamored with him for many years now. Um, and he gets a great opportunity to really stretch out and go through a range of emotions and... Uh, it's not just like 
you know, I'm sad, give me revenge, fight, 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 I'm happy or whatever, you know, or I'm unfulfilled from the revenge. Um, not saying that that's how this movie ends or anything, but just in general, you know, general revenge stuff. So what really sets this movie apart is that the title is Pursuit. And so you might think with a setup like that of revenge that Lin Chong is then pursuing his revenge the entire time, the entire movie. But in fact, he is not a vengeful person at all. He wants revenge and he feels wronged, but his sense of righteousness and duty and like doing the right thing and and really like even though he's been wronged he doesn't feel like it's his place to kill people or or to like cause harm so the pursuit of the movie is actually the villains throughout the whole movie just trying to do away with Lin Chong and it's it's really good spin on it. It's really great movie. Uh, like I said before, Chen Kang is a great director. That if you if you haven't seen any of his movies, I definitely recommend them. Um, the big ones that I mentioned before, like Fourteen Amazons and this movie Killers Five, is another one that I really like. Um, but anyway, so like he's a great director to to. Uh, uh delve into if you have the ability to now choreography wise the movie isn't like top-notch choreography but uh, it is very good and very interesting uh and the movie was choreographed by oh i should get the fucking names up before i start talking um okay I started doing a Tarzan thing, and then it turned into the fucking good, bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Pursuit was choreographed by uh, Lung Siu Chung and his son, Bruce Lung, uh, also known as Lung Siu Lung. So Lung Siu Chung had been a, a Shaw Brothers choreographer for a long time, and um, with Pursuit, I believe, if I, if I remember correctly, Pursuit is one of Bruce Long's first uh, choreography positions. Yeah, it looks like it's the, first, it's the first movie to come out that bears his name as a choreographer. So Bruce Long, if you don't know... Um, went on to become one of the Bruce clones, uh, named Bruce Lung. (laughs) And, uh, I don't, I'm not too familiar with him as a Bruce clone, to be honest. I don't remember, like, what movies he's in or whatever. But he's in a lot of, uh, other movies. Um, Shaw Brothers movies and stuff like that. Golden Harvest movies, all kinds of stuff. Most notably, probably, I guess, would be that he's in the uh, the throwback to classic kung fu movie from 2010 uh, called Gallants. 
And if you haven't seen Gallants and you like Hong Kong movies, you have to fucking see Gallants. It is fucking phenomenal. Um, it it stars uh, Chen Quintai and Bruce Lung. And there's a bunch of other, like Lo Meng is in the movie. Uh, Michael Chan, Y Man, is in the movie. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, so there, it, it's good. I don't remember um, a whole lot about it, but it's a fucking great movie. So anyway, Bruce Lung, uh, here is the choreographer with his dad, and they do pretty well. Um, again, it's not up to the standards, like the the top of the genre at this time, 72, would probably be something like Water Margin, where uh, Lao Karlung and Teng Cha are um, leading the choreography team on that movie there's actually four choreographers because there's uh just so much shit going on and i don't know how it was split but uh the other two were lao kar lung's brother lao kar wing who's a fucking amazing choreographer and performer in his own right um actor and director as well uh and then um uh chan chun who who does a lot of uh, choreography um uh, within the Shaw Brothers stuff too. Anyway, <clears throat> get down the fucking rabbit hole with that shit. Um, so let's see if I have any other notes because nothing's coming to mind uh, right offhand. Yeah, it looks like I worked through everything uh, without looking at the notes, so that's good. Makes it feel a little more natural. Uh, so I'm gonna take a break. And then I'll be right back with the next movie um, coming at you. All right, so I'm back, and I forgot to put my headphones on. It sounds weird. <laughs> um, all right, that sounds much better. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Howdy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, I don't have it on loud in my ears because otherwise that would sound weird. But um, it definitely helps. It's a little, just a little boost. A little boost it makes me sound a little more uh, listenable. I don't know. <laughs> it makes my voice sound fuller. And so then um, I sound more confident uh, as I talk. <laughs> a little inside uh, baseball there. <laughs> I'm such a weirdo. Okay. Hey, what happened? What the fuck? This fucking... It, did it delete this? It did. Fuck. Fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, I use the notes on my iPhone. And they're very helpful. I like them very much. But... They, I don't remember if back in the day when I first got the iPhone, I don't think the delete button was where it is. Um, and if it was, I think there was like a, a secondary, like, are you sure you want to delete this? Because now you hit the delete button and it's fucking gone. And then I got to go retrieve it from the recently deleted, which thank God they added that because back before they didn't have it so i think they 
I think and maybe it had a confirmation before, and then now they just have that recycle bin sort of folder. I don't know. But anyway, I fucking always delete my goddamn notes, and then I have to go retrieve them. So anyway, I've retrieved the notes, and I can finally move on with the next movie, which is the second film from Wong Kar Wai, uh, Days of Being Wild. Now, like as tears go by, I had not seen Days of Being Wild since I was a teenager, so uh, a good 20 years ago. Um, eh, yeah, yeah, that's probably, that's probably about 97. I probably saw it around then. Maybe 98. I don't know. Anyway, roughly 20 years ago, uh, Days of Being Wild. Although, unlike As Tears Go By, I watched Days of Being Wild at least two or three times. Uh, I, I always liked this one uh, quite a bit. But going into it this time, I really didn't remember much of anything. I remembered this one specific shot where uh, it's like a steady cam and it follows uh, the main guy who is played by Leslie Chung. And it follows him like through an apartment. And I remember that very vividly. Um, it's stuck with me all these years. Whenever I think about Days of Being Wild, I think about that. And then I also remember there's another part where he grabs this fucking hammer and, like, smashes a sink. And that shit <laughs> always stuck out to me as well. I mean, why wouldn't it? Uh, but anyway, so this time, after watching As Tears Go By and seeing how it was kind of a norm like quote unquote normal Wong Kar Wai movie like it didn't exhibit all of the Wong Kar Wai sort of style that that uh, he has become known for um so it's kind of a normal movie but but still coming from seeing a bunch of normal Hong Kong movies like on the regular when I watched that tears go by it seems very different than a normal Hong Kong movie so it it did it definitely didn't seem full on Wong Kar Wai, but it just it it didn't seem as normal as as I see people talking about it as. Now, watching Days of Being Wild, it was like, oh shit. Like I thought as Tears Go By was a great debut and uh, a a fairly accomplished, like stylistically uh rich movie that isn't a great movie, but it just it it does a lot of stuff right that that you would want to do if you were a first-time director. Like it really sets itself apart from other movies of the time. But Days of Being Wild is like on another fucking level. I mean, he just like turns the fucking dial up. And I don't I would say that like I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie, but it's right fucking there. Like, and I don't like to say like, oh, well, it's, you know, three and a half stars. When, like, specifically with these kind of movies, like uh, Wong Kar Wai movies or movies that are specifically going for, like, because it's a very entertaining movie, but not in a traditional sense. It's entertaining in a Wong Kar Wai kind of sense, in, in a drama you're like un unwinding these characters and sort of 
understanding them through these experiences. And there's not a lot of hand-holding at all. It's all like visuals and thematic elements coming together um, subtly. And Days of Being Wild is such a goddamn good movie. <laughs> like, I mean, I always liked it. And I always remember liking it. And so I went into it with an optimism um, to continue liking it. But, like, I I have such an appreciation for this movie way more than I ever did before. I, I've often said um, in, I don't know if I've often said it, <laughs> but I know I've written it in some reviews somewhere on my website that... I've always liked Wong Kar Wai, but I didn't always feel like I got Wong Kar Wai, um, like completely. And I feel like coming to these movies now, I feel like I am much more equipped to see these movies, take them in for what they are, and like really appreciate how unique and how well fucking crafted they are. Specifically, like knowing that like Wong Kar Wai doesn't work from a like a set in stone script he works with ideas and like basic outlines and shit and then just kind of free forms a lot of it like especially when you know that and you see how accomplished and like well put together the movie like this is it's fucking impressive it's really fucking impressive uh, so notes on Days of Being Wild because now I'm kind of petering out. Uh, the story. What is the story? The story is about this guy uh, played by Leslie Chung. And he his character is named York. And the movie starts with him um, meeting Maggie Chung. And she is the like a clerk at this little store. I don't even know that it's would classify as a little store. It's just kind of like this little... Oh, fuck. Did I delete this goddamn... No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I hit the wrong... But it's hard to look at my phone and do this because I got this thing in front of my face. So I kind of got to turn my head or whatever. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, so it starts off with him getting acquainted with Maggie Chung and he's doing his best to, like, make a good impression on her. And he gets her to, like, uh, connect with him for one minute. And it's, it's it doesn't sound... Like, it's hard to describe. But in the movie, it's really well uh, carried out. And so he gets her to engage with him for one minute. And it creates this moment between them that um, a relationship kind of buds out of. And you don't necessarily see that relationship in the movie. It's it's more implied and um, suggested and things. I mean, you see elements of it, but it's not, it's not the main drive of the movie or anything. Uh, what is the main drive of the movie is how... Uh, similarly to As Tears Go By, the main character has an inability to truly uh, commit. 
to another person. The difference is that where in As Tears Go By, Andy Lau's character was committed to taking care of uh, the Jackie Chung character. And they were in this sort of uh, um, dependent, self-destructive cycle uh, between each other. And then when Maggie Chung gets added, it just kind of screws everything up. Um, Or it introduces a way out of that cycle, and then he doesn't necessarily take it, or he tries, but whatever. Anyway, um, in Days of Being Wild the the main character is only um, indebted to himself. He basically lives his life for himself. He's not taking care of another person. He's not worried so much about other people. He's um, very selfish, and he's in his, quote-unquote, days of being wild, which I got to say is... <laughs> That fucking title is like one of the greatest titles for a movie ever. Honestly, Days of Being Wild. It's just, oh my God. Ever since I first heard it, it was just like, oh shit, that's a fucking movie title. <laughs> anyway, so so this character, York, um, is just this sort of selfish guy. And then uh, over the course of the movie... We see him interact with uh, multiple different people, um, specifically three women in his life, one of which is Maggie Chung. The other is uh, Karina Lau, who plays uh, another girl that that becomes romantically uh, entangled with York. And uh, York's mother played by uh, Rebecca Pan. And so through those relationships, we get a good sense of who this character of York is and why he acts the way that he acts and why he shuns commitment in the way that he shuns commitment. And so it creates this... Very interesting portrait of a character. And in a very um, unique and sort of uh, non-traditional way. Like, it doesn't feel like other movies. And and I know that that's, like, what the fuck am I saying? But um, if you've seen a Wong Kar Wai movie that wasn't As Tears Go By, <laughs> if you've seen the other... And, and that probably, I would say, wasn't The Grandmaster also... Um, cause that one seems a little different kind of, um, because with that one, it's more and like, it's not even about the characters. It's more about like the martial art itself as the character, um, and the preservation of it and stuff like that. Uh, but I'd have to watch that again to really get down on it. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> So through the, all of those characters, and I don't want to like go too deep because I feel like I would be spoiling a, uh, a lot of the the reason for watching a movie like this. Um, if you're going to watch Days of Being Wild and you're going to have like my fucking voice in your head saying, oh, this is this and this is that, 
then I don't I don't know what the point of that would be because um, film it's all about bringing yourself to the the screen or to the to the experience and sort of having the movie bounce off of that and and sort of inform you inform the movie with your experience and the movie informs your experience uh, through its experiences does that make sense I don't know but but basically um, a movie only exists as a piece of art that affects um, affects a person if that person is there actively receiving it you know what I'm saying like the, the idea of, of does a fucking a tree make a sound if nobody is there to hear it like in the same way a movie can't realize its potential without a person there to uh, really engage with it. You know, if they if the fucking end of the world happened, nobody's alive, and they play fucking 2001 for, you know, nobody, is it still achieving the same level of greatness? I would say no. Um, so anyway, let's, let's see if I have anything else to, oh, well, yeah, and, and specifically with, with those, those female characters, it's the way, not just the way that Leslie Chung's, um, York character, it's not just the way that he reacts to them, but also the way that they react to him, and the way that, like, um, the, the character's each deal with the breakups because there's a few breakups that happen like the way that each character deals with it and either goes about their life or cannot can no longer go about their normal life or whatever all of that says something about the type of person that they are and the type of person that york is and the way that he treated them and um i gotta say i mean obviously i was really bowled over by this movie i thought it was fucking great I mean, I've seen it before, so I shouldn't be as excited about it as I was. But, I mean, 20 years, or, or 19, or 18, or whatever the fuck it is, um, a lot of shit happens <laughs> in that time um, to make you look at a movie a little bit differently. And is there anything else that I wrote down? Nope. It is all related to the things that I already said. Good. So... um I'm going to take another break. Let's start this uh, break thing in between movies, and maybe I can uh, fix my throat a little bit. Okay, I'll be back. Fuck the golden statue. Like it's all about the silver statue. <laughs> Silveremulsion.com. All right, so I'm back, and so I, I think that I'll make those two movies that I just talked about, like the, the co-feature. I haven't done a co-feature in a while, and even though the two movies don't relate to each other... Um, they're Hong Kong movies, and fuck it. I could do whatever the fuck I want. That's <laughs> my show, bitches. <laughs> uh, okay, so the next movie that I watched um, is the next Bud Bedeker, Randolph Scott Western. And this one is called Ride Lonesome. And right off the bat, I will say that I was a little bit disappointed with this movie. It starts out phenomenally it ends phenomenally 
the middle kind of slow now it's only a 72 minute movie or something like that so like the middle being slow isn't that big of a deal but um it was just disappointing on on that level because like something like seven men from now or tall t um specifically those ones but but fucking the last one i watched buchanan right alone was real strong throughout and even even decision at sundown uh the one that i'm i wasn't as much into that one's pretty solid too and so i I think like decision at sundown where it took me a couple of watches to really like get it and get into it and like it start to finish um i feel like if i watch ride lonesome again i will like it much better uh, but that being said, the fucking beginning and the fucking ending, the last shot of this movie is, like, fucking incredible. Like, one of the best last shots in a movie fucking ever. It's great. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. It's that fucking good. Um, it's shot uh, in the Lone Pine area and the, the, what do they call it, Alabama Hills? Just look it up, Alabama Hills. You'll, you'll get an idea. You've, if you watch a lot of westerns, You've seen it before. They're they're it's this real like rocky uh area of the uh, Sierra Nevadas. Right outside of Lone Pine. Uh but anyway, uh it, it's a great location. Um so this movie Ride Lonesome, it's fucking good. It's really good. This is the first one uh the first I don't know if it's the first Bud Bedecker movie um that is shot in Cinemascope. But it's definitely the first one of these westerns uh, that is shot in Cinemascope. And so, on one hand, there's a lot of great landscapes and the movie is very beautiful. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of the dialogue scenes and stuff like that, I felt, um, could have been shot a little bit better, uh, frankly. <laughs> um, and I feel bad saying that, but it just, it seems like he got the idea of widescreen on one hand, but just, I don't know, just, uh, I don't know. I, again, I feel bad, but I should probably watch it again. Maybe I was in a bad mood. I, you know, sometimes I watch these movies and I say all this shit or I write a review and then I watch it again. And it's just like, what the fuck am I thinking? Like, this is amazing. What the fuck? So maybe it's one of those. I have a feeling that it's one of those. Um, but with that, I am, oh yeah, I just wanted, I did want to say that the, the fucking cast of Ride Lonesome is, like, amazing. <laughs> it's crazy how, how good it is. Uh, Randolph Scott, of course. And then, what? who else is it? There's fucking um, the guy from Bonanza, uh, Adam. Uh, what's his name? Parnell, Parnell Roberts, yeah. And then uh, James Best. Uh, that I know from the Andy Griffith show, <laughs> playing this, uh, I forget what his name is, um, I want to say James Darlin, or, no, Darlin is the fucking, the hillbillies, I don't know what his name is, anyway, James Best plays this fucking traveling musician in Andy Griffith in a, maybe two or three episodes, and so I know him from that from when I was a kid, but he's also in um, a couple of Sam Fuller movies, He's in, like, Shock Corridor, and uh, he's in Verboten, 
a very underseen, fantastic Sam Fuller movie. Um, he's in fucking Forbidden Planet and Winchester 73, the Anthony Mann movie with uh, Jimmy Stewart. And I want to say that he had other things that he was in, but I, I don't know. Anyway, he's fucking great. So he's in this movie. Uh, James Coburn is in this movie. Fucking, and like in a weird role for James Coburn, he's like in this uh, sort of weakling kind of sidekick role. And then uh, Lee Van Cleef is in the movie as well. This is very, um, a young Lee Van Cleef with uh, kind of a, like his voice doesn't sound quite as gravelly as it does by the time he's in those spaghetti westerns at the end of the 60s and stuff. So, because this is like a full 10 years before that. So he... (laughs) I don't. He looks young, and then he kind of sounds young too. It's weird, uh, but fucking great cast. Um, I really should have liked this movie more, but um, I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, do I have any more notes? Nope. That looks like it's it. Um, okay. So the final movie that I watched is Michael Mann's The Keep. And The Keep is 1983, and it is based on a novel called, I don't remember. <laughs> no, the, the novel is not called, I don't remember, I just don't, I don't remember what the, the title of the novel is. It's probably The Keep or something like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm stupid. <laughs> like, I could have just not. Uh, mentioned that you know (laughs) i could even cut this out but i'll probably leave this in and (laughs) just look dumb (laughs) whatever who cares um this movie as i knew before uh, i watched it i knew going in that the movie was a very uh troubled production and that there was a long cut that then had been cut into whatever was released. Um, The original cut was apparently 210 minutes, and that was the original actual edit of the movie that he turned in. And obviously, (laughs) they're like, we can't fucking release a 210-minute Nazi movie. A supernatural Nazi movie. I think I, I think I thought that this was a zombie movie for some reason, but it's it's really not at all. <laughs> like it's it's I don't know I don't know where I got that, but anyway. Um. So two hundred and ten minutes. They said this is bullshit. Uh, you need to deliver a movie that's two hours long. So then Michael Mann cut it to two hours. They did a test screening. The test screening was horrific. Nobody liked the movie. So the studio took it, cut it down to whatever its release length is, like 95 minutes or something like that, and then just fucking pushed it out and said, whatever, forget about it. And apparently they pushed it out. Like they just wanted to release it which doesn't make a lot of sense, but they just <laughs> wanted to be done with it, so they pushed it out, and they never 
did a final like sound mix on it so the the sound mix has been notably shitty of in every release because um like the dialogue is mixed wrong and whatever and you can tell there's there's definitely instances where like it's it's pretty fucking hard to tell what the fuck anybody's saying but it's not too bad um but it's like a known issue or whatever with the movie uh but anyway so in terms of my experience with this movie i didn't really know what to expect obviously so i i i I started it <laughs> and then I watched it. <laughs> no, but um I started the movie. The movie opens and the music is by Tangerine Dream. So very ethereal sort of uh mood setting atmospheric music and the movie is incredibly visual especially at that time so um as like in the beginning of the movie and it's like all these nazis and they're rolling up to this keep and i'm not entirely sure why they're there <laughs> and the rest of the movie doesn't really um necessarily fill that in because it seems like for most of the movie they're just kind of there <laughs> and like they're not doing anything <laughs> they're just they're just kind of there and so I, I think at the beginning of the movie they say something about oh they got to hold this this keep for some kind of war reasons you know it's world war Two, so oh they got to go here and, and hold it or some some something that I didn't pay attention to. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so like, but it's just even if they're there to to hold this fort or whatever, um, it just I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense why they're there, why they remain there, especially after they start fucking dying. <laughs> Um, cause it, it, like, they honestly don't really do anything other than, like, they're there, they talk about being there, and then they die. <laughs> like, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty clear that there was issues with the production and the editing of the movie because it, it's, it's a fairly disjointed sort of thing. Um, it works. I mean, it's fine. It, it, it's, uh, it, I wouldn't, honestly, I don't know that a better edit of the movie would make a whole lot of difference, but, uh, it's very possible that it would. Um, but there's a lot of things with the movie that, that like, they wouldn't change with an edit. And so I don't know how much more successful uh, a re-edited version would be. Like if you don't already like buy into the the base uh, elements that are already there, that wouldn't change. Um. So anyway, at the beginning of the movie, it's Tangerine Dream music is playing. I mean, the whole movie has the music, but but especially at the beginning, it's 
these Nazis are rolling up into the keep and they meet. Um, there's like this caretaker guy of the keep and he's real creepy looking. And he's like, oh, you can't stay in the keep. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and <laughs> whatever. And so uh, they go in and, and around the keep, there's all of these... Um, it's like a brick wall thing, and then and then uh, in the wall around the whole place is is uh, a bunch of uh, like I don't want to say T's, but they they kind of look like T's. Uh, it's these symbols that are are set into the wall that are made out of nickel, and so they're nice and silver, and they're kind of you know. They stand out from the wall. They look very um, striking. And so visually, the movie is very rich right from the beginning. And they don't they don't have a lot of dialogue. So I I mean, and it goes on for a while like this where there's not a lot of dialogue. It's it's uh, very atmospheric music, and it's just sort of painting this picture of what's going on, and it's not necessarily like a traditional movie, it's almost like a silent movie. It's very visual, and there's not a lot of dialogue, and it just sort of um, moves through this whole section where um, things are happening, and, um, you know, like the plot is moving forward, uh, because you learn about these these nickel um, things, and then you, you start to learn that like okay, they're not just decorative, and then you know the, there's people think that they're actually silver and they're worth money. So then there's a couple of people, uh, like uh, soldiers, that want to extract one, and so it just moves through all this stuff. And there's a little bit of dialogue here and there, but but primarily it's just very visual. And I was fucking loving that. It was dope very unique and um, just very, very um, enchanting. I was drawn in and I, and I was just, I mean, I love silent movies. So, so anything that's visual and, and telling a story without a whole lot of dialogue, you know, it's, it's a movie. So it, it, it's using the, uh, the, the the cinematic, uh, uh, <laughs> it's using the medium of movies and what is unique about the medium of movies to tell a story and i like that who do, who doesn't like that um <laughs> anyway so like i said that shit uh is fucking great. I love it. Then as the movie progresses into more of the middle part of the movie, um, it starts to get pretty dialogue heavy. And it still retains like this element of mystery and um, enchantment sort of with the music and, and it's not entirely like a real movie where everything is um, 
like A to B connected, it's still disjointed and almost like little flashes of things. Like, I don't even know how to describe it, but you can tell that it's been edited and not edited artistically for a reason. It's been edited, like, fucking chopped up. Um, Because, like, the scenes flow together well enough, but it feels like it, like some of the the way things are cut together and even editing within a scene but but mostly the way like scenes follow each other and stuff like that like it do, it flows well enough you can you can watch it and and it's uh, an okay experience but like you don't get the sense that that there was um like uh <laughs> like how do I describe it? Like, like there was an artistic intention or anything behind the way it was put together. And I thought that before I knew, like when I was first watching the movie, I didn't know that the studio had re-edited it to be the, the version um, that was released. I just thought, oh, whatever, Michael Mann was forced to edit it. And it just seemed real like, man, I don't know. <laughs> he must have had some hard choices because this there's just things about this that just don't make a lot of sense of why you would put these two things together or whatever. And I don't have any kind of uh, uh examples really, but it's just more of a feeling that I had. Um uh, but but anyway, to go off of 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 uh that element to get away from it. The premise of this movie is really good. The execution could definitely be better. And so I think that's what really kills this movie is that you you get the sense that the studio meddled with it, but I also feel like the actual execution from Michael Mann and and the crew at the time it's just it's not a movie that would that appeals to everybody like the way that the the acting is done specifically Ian McKellen and Ian McKellen I honestly like I'm sure he was in a lot of stuff um before <laughs> like fucking Lord of the Rings but I honestly was first introduced to him with Lord of the Rings. And I think he's great. And I've seen him in other things since then, obviously. And I think he's great. Now, he's in The Keep. And he plays a character that's uh, in a wheelchair, like a, like a professor or some kind of a scholar or something in a wheelchair. And... He's like afflicted with some kind of uh, old age disease or something where he, he, when you first see him, he's like, uh, he's in the wheelchair and he's kind of crippled and he looks older than he actually is. And so for somebody like me, that's only known him as an old man, it's, it's kind of a weird, uh, (laughs) visual because he's old, but it's um 
it's like makeup. It's like old man makeup, but it looks good enough to wear. It, it, like it, knowing him as an old man and then seeing him with this kind of old man makeup, it's good enough to where you think like, wow, Ian McKellen is a lot younger, but wow, I guess he's just kind of always looked like an old man. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was weird. And the way that he acts in the movie is he's he, he's like a known theater actor, Shakespearean actor. And so he acts in the movie very broad, big fucking theatrical acting. And that's the kind of thing that you either like or you don't. And it has its place. But there's some shit in <laughs> in the keep that's like it's so far beyond uh <laughs> Like, if you're not, like, totally locked into this movie, there's some shit from Ian McKellen that is just, like, really hard to buy into. The way that he acts, it's very, like, over the top. And, uh, like, towards the end, there's something where it's almost like a fucking you shall not pass Lord of the Rings moment where... where he's 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 got this thing in his hand and he's like telling this other character to take it <laughs> and the way he does it it's i don't know it's too fucking much for me take it! Take it! but if you were like deep in the movie i could see how it would be it would work fine um, but anyway, so it's not a zombie movie, but there is, um, a very strong supernatural element and the way that it manifests itself is with, uh, mist and this mist sort of comes and kills people and the mist is very clearly like not the the totality of the of the entity or whatever and every time that it comes you sort of get a better sense of what it actually is it it uses the mist it rides the mist into um the room or whatever that's not a good example but anyway so this thing uh, um is what was mentioned uh in the comment um by Nick uh, the Molossar. And this thing, the Molossar, I don't want to spoil too much, but it's really a very interesting, unique character for a movie. I really liked him. I thought he was great. Um, but, like, again, I, I, I feel like there wasn't it's it's just it's <laughs> when they reveal him i liked him less than when it was the mysterious sort of uh, mist based creature and at first it starts out with it it's just mist and then or or um 
maybe not mist is good mist is not a great example but like it's more of smoky but i can't think of the word um so when he's in that form that's cool and then the next form that he takes is a bit more um solid and like it's like a <laughs> how do i describe it it's like a, a like a like a glowing sort of body that um is is almost entirely made up of this billowing smoke and mist but it has like glowing eyes and stuff and that fucking shit was really cool i really like that it's it's shot really well and and it's it looks like the the smoke was shot in reverse and then played so it's like sucking into itself and it looks really cool um and it just is never it never stops moving it's just constantly sort of uh flowing and stuff and so it's it, that shit is really cool and then when they start to reveal more of the character i become less and less enchanted by the mystery because it's all revealed and it's it's just i don't know I, i'm less enchanted by it and and the the effects are good the, specifically like the the optical effects and stuff like that um really well done it's really well shot also so it's very nice to look at um but just overall and i feel like i'm just rambling um i mean when am i not rambling right <laughs> overall um i thought it was pretty good um, like it was okay. It's, it's, it's an interesting movie is interesting as like a failed sort of experiment. <laughs> and I don't know that it's an experiment, but like there's the premise, like the base premise of it is, is very cool. Uh, Scott Glenn is in the movie and I really like Scott Glenn and his character is really interesting. Um, I would have loved to see more, like, like, uh, more, see, and that's the thing too, like, I think, well, what, if I want more of Scott Glenn, do I want more explanation and more, like, you know, like, more character of him, or do I like him just the way he is in the movie where you get a sense of him and his character, but you don't know everything, and it's kind of just the way it is and, and i don't know so i say oh i want more but i don't know if i actually want more <laughs> um so i liked it a lot it would definitely benefit from a uh, like a blu-ray release but they would have like if they did a blu-ray and they redid the sound like finally remixed the sound and then potentially were able to find the like extra footage that would be really cool i would definitely watch a longer version of the keep in hopes that it was more satisfying 
uh, or even like a, a a new director's cut edition with Michael Mann's involvement would be interesting. Um, it reminds me of of the. I think it was a couple of years ago now, but uh, Scream Factory uh, hunted down all of the film elements of Nightbreed, uh, which had been missing for many years, and they basically got Clive Barker to completely re-edit the movie into like his... Uh, final like actual director's cut because because the way that that movie came out is very similar where he he shot a bunch of stuff and then the studio didn't like whatever the the movie that that Clive Barker had made so they took it away re-edited it completely and um like it's still a good movie because Clive Barker made a good movie but but um there's a lot of issues with that theatrical edit. And so, so Clive Barker was able to, to take all of the the footage and cut out. Cause they had used like, like alternate takes that of, of things that like Clive Barker had a, had a preferred take of a certain shot or whatever. And like the studio used the alternate take for some reason. So anyway, so Clive Barker like changed out all this footage and, and there's something like 40 something minutes of, of new footage. Um, and the movie is, is actually, I think a little bit, um, shorter than the theatrical release by a minute or two, but they, they cut out a whole bunch of the theatrical cut and re and changed it with, um, new footage and all this stuff in it. So it's a completely different movie and it really feels like a completely different movie. It feels artistically like this is the fucking movie that he wanted to make. And this is the movie that's been under the surface all these time, all this time. So I say like, Oh, the, the elements of the keep, if you, if you re-edited it, I don't know if it would make a better movie, but honestly, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that a movie as good as the director's cut of Nightbreed, like, I've always, like, I liked Nightbreed when I first saw it, the theatrical cut. I liked it a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. So I always had faith that the director's cut would be even better. And so, like, with The Keep, I'm, I liked it but I'm not like super into it. So I have less faith that a director's cut could totally make me into the movie, but, but just, just, um, seeing how, how it worked with Nightbreed, it's very possible that it could make for a very, uh, a very good movie. And I am totally <laughs> just rambling now. So I'll probably edit some of this shit out. <coughs> All right. So that's going to be the show. What do I have coming up on the site this week? I have a full moon kids movie, a moonbeam movie called The Midas Touch. And um, I just found out about this movie a few weeks ago. So one movie longer (laughs) the full moon series will be. 
but I'm getting close. I don't I don't know that I have more than 25 or 30 movies left out of like 300 something. So I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> and then the Shaw Brothers movie for the week is a um a Cheng Sang Chai movie called The Gambling Syndicate. So check those out if you so desire. <laughs> I don't know, I'm running out of steam. <laughs> I'm tired. I rambled too much. Um Yeah, so <laughs> so that's what's coming up on the site. So um if you have any feedback, send it in. And uh, until then, <laughs> I'll see you at the movies. <laughs> All right, adios.